Hey, thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Do Canadians really want the Liberal NDP partnership? Prime Minister Justin Trudeau visiting Brussels Thursday for the NATO summit on Ukraine. We help shine a light on the issue of murdered and missing Indigenous women, girls, trans, and two-spirit individuals. How is rising inflation affecting your retirement planning? Global News Chief Meteorologist Anthony Farnell shares his spring forecast. And do you know how much oil does Canada import? and exports. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. We're different political parties. We stand for different things. But where we have common goals, we cannot let our differences stand in the way of delivering what Canadians deserve. We're not going to let the Liberals off the hook. We're going to continue to fight to make sure people get the help they need. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, reaching a confidence and supply agreement. But do Canadians really want this? And how is this going to work? David Tarrant is our next guest. He's the Vice President's National Strategic Communications at Enterprise Canada, former communications strategist in the office of Prime Minister Stephen Harper. David, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Rick. Thanks for having me on. What does this do for the Liberals, the NDP, and the Conservatives? Maybe we'll start with the, the governing party, the Liberals. Uh, it's, it's a huge win for the Liberal Party, uh, Rick. There's, there's no two ways around it. I mean... Uh, at the end of the day, uh, 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 Justin Trudeau, who failed to secure a majority in the last election, uh, due to the fact that in a number of ridings across the country, including you know Hamilton Centre, the voters you know chose an NDP candidate and, and rejected the Liberal offering, it allows him to actually operate as as, as if he won a majority mandate last fall. Uh, gives him security, gives him uh, you know complete freedom to run the day to day operations of the government. Um, you know, it, it's it's a massive win. In return, you know, essentially, what he's, he's doing, he's letting uh, you know the NDP kind of write a big chunk of the budget so the, of the of the Liberal Party, which is what the left wing edge of the Liberal Party wants anyway. So you know, there's no way around it that Trudeau's it comes ahead of this. I mean, from from the NDP, I mean, we can, we can stop there. If you want to talk to NDP next, but yeah, you know, it's yeah, a win for Trudeau. Before I jump to the NDP, I do, I do want to ask you about Justin Trudeau's. You know, if if this is going to be the victory lap or the swan song, I know he said otherwise yesterday, saying he he envisions continuing to go after 2025. But could this be it? Could the next three years be his kind of going away party? Well, you know, it, 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 it's certainly from a personal standpoint for the prime minister, and it's a favorite parlor game in Ottawa right now. Given that you know he's approaching ten years as prime minister, to say, oh, when's he going to well have his walk in the snow or, or ride off into the sunset or what have you? Um, it certainly allows him to punch his own ticket. Like you know, it gives you know uh, um, everything that happened yesterday uh, gave incredible new power to Justin Trudeau uh, to to kind of dictate his own fate and the fate of the country, with, with, with giving very little back in return. So, you know, who knows what, what the Prime Minister talks about with his family in, in their private moments about what his personal career plans are. But, uh, you know, uh, it certainly took the threat of, of you know, uh, any threat of him losing an election or losing the confidence of the House due to inflation or rising prices or anything like that. You know, the, the certainly, you know, there's much less accountability in Ottawa than there was, you know, this time two days ago. As for the NDP, does this paint... Jagmeet Singh into a bit of a corner. Um, you know, th- the first thing I thought of was, you know, the NDP can never be more than, you know, a walking aid to the Liberals over the next three years. 
that's exactly it. it it's inept. I mean, let's not. It is, you know, it's an insult to the people. And again, including many of your listeners who voted for it, NDP, MP, Rick, it's it's an insult to them that basically uh, NDP and and no Jagmeet Singh tried to talk tough, but oh, we're still going to hold them to account. No, they're not. On every single issue of importance where the survival of the government is at stake, uh, Jagmeet Singh has declared that the next three and a half years he's going to be Justin Trudeau's errand boy. He'll go where Justin Trudeau tells him to go, and he'll say what Justin Trudeau wants him to say. The complete lack of concessions in return is actually quite quite amazing. The things like the dental care, the things that the NDP are crowing about, about things they could negotiate that on a one-off deal in this budget, and said, "If you want our support in the budget in 2022, you got to put the dental care in." They could have done that and preserved their ability to hold the government to account for the rest of, of the term of government. Instead, in return for the dental care, they basically said, "Liberals, we'll let you govern with a complete free hand for the next three years." It is one of the most, uh, you know, disgraceful abdications of responsibility by an opposition party in Canadian history. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, David Tarrant, VP, National Strategic Communications, Enterprise Canada, former communications boss in the office of the Prime Minister, uh, Stephen Harper. To the Conservatives we go. We know that there's a leadership race uh, underway. Come September 10th, uh, when that new leader is chosen, or uh, I guess before that time, does this agreement change anything on how the Conservatives approach picking their new leader? In the short term, it's frustrating, I think, for a lot of the candidates. Uh, I mean, Conservatives are, uh, no surprise to you or any of your listeners, Rick, are not fans of this Prime Minister by any stretch of the imagination. And so in the short term, I know a lot of Conservatives are, are frustrated that he's basically, you know, uh, getting a free pass for three years after the, the voters quite explicitly denied them that in the fall. But if you step back and take a broader, broader picture, I mean, what, a lot of what we're getting from the conservative leadership race in the early days, and it is still the early days, it's just going to be a pretty hotly contested race. And that has a risk of exposing fractures or fissures in the party. Uh, it'll take time for the new leader, whoever it is, to kind of reach out and and, and build bridges with the people who supported their opponents. So in the long term, uh, there, are, there are some upsides to the Conservatives in this, and that it, it, it allows the new leader to put their stamp on the party to, to try to unify the party and get on get on the strongest possible footing internally to, to win the next campaign. But it'll be immensely frustrating. Uh, I, we expect the next, you know, the signs already there, Rick, was energy prices, food prices, cost of living, inflation, that the, the, the coming months are going to be incredibly painful for Canadians. And, and the fact that you know the the Justin Trudeau has printed himself a get out jail free card, and there will be no accountability for him for three years, is immensely frustrating. Very much so. And who knows what the next budget is going to look like? Because a national pharmacare deal and a dental program won't come cheap. My guess is Ottawa is soon going to run out of their red ink. But we'll have to leave it there. Dara, uh, David, always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today. Rick, I appreciate it. Take care. Have a good day. You too. That's David Tarrant, VP, National Strategic Communications Enterprise Canada, formerly in the communications office with uh, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We need to make sure that Ukrainians win this war. Vladimir Putin cannot prevail. This is a question that is existential to the West and to the world's stability. This is a turning point for the world. And it's a moment of choice. It's a choice between freedom and oppression. 
That are the voices of Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie and British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you as we switch our focus to the war in Ukraine. And a big day is happening tomorrow. NATO leaders preparing to meet to discuss the war in that Eastern European nation. And joining us to break it all down is Tim Sale, Assistant Professor of History and the Director of the International Relations Program at the University of Toronto. Also the author of Enduring Alliance, a history of NATO in the post-war global order. Tim, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. What is expected to come out of tomorrow's NATO summit? Well, we're going to see a lot of pictures and video of these allied leaders standing together, and that is really important because the one biggest message will be that the alliance uh, stands together and will continue to defend the alliance or defend the alliance in case the Russians expand this war. So that's the most important part, but there'll be other outcomes as well. There has been a lot of talk about a no-fly zone, especially from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. I understand, I believe it's Estonia who's also saying, yeah, this might be a good idea. It can't be on the table, can it? I don't think it is on the table. I think the United States has made clear uh, to its allies privately and in public that this is not going to be the next step in this war. Um, Things can change, though, in a war. If the Russians begin to use chemical or even nuclear weapons in Ukraine, I could see it coming back on the table. So is there going to be a big decision, do you think, some kind of resolution from NATO beyond saying, hey, we're united and we stand with Ukraine? Is there something tangible that could maybe help Ukraine going forward? I think we'll see an announcement of more sanctions and possibly some statements about red lines that the Russians should not cross. But I think actually the most important resolutions will be the ones made in private. And those will be about just what the alliance will do if the Russians attack a NATO partner or if they start to use these weapons of mass destruction in Ukraine. Is another one of those red lines as well that, hey, Putin stopped targeting civilian targets? I think that there will be a statement condemning Putin for attacking civilians, but I don't see at this time a a direct response to that if it continues, a direct response from NATO. Tim Sale is our guest. Tim is an assistant professor of history and the director of the International Relations Program at the University of Toronto, also the author of the book Enduring Alliance, A History of NATO in the Post-War Global Order. Uh, We heard off the top from British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who calls the war in Ukraine, quote, a turning point for the world. Is he right? Yes, I think that this um, is a really significant turning point, and unfortunately, it could become an even more significant turning point. So the war matters. It's changed how our global economy is operating. It's increased the security threats to NATO allies in Eastern Europe. But this war still has the real potential to spin into a regional or even a global conflict. And so what does that look like? Well, we're concerned here about two different things. One would be the Russians using chemical weapons to kill civilians, more civilians in Ukraine, and possibly NATO getting to a point where they feel they need to intervene. And this would create NATO versus Russia conflict, which could continually escalate. The other concern here would be the Russians attacking parts of Poland, where some of these weapons are flowing into Ukraine. If Russia attacks a NATO ally, we could also expect to see conflict between NATO and Russia. And when I say conflict, that could involve a steadily escalating set of uh, battles that could ultimately result in in regional war in Europe or, or 
war across across the globe. Wow. What are the odds that this war ends diplomatically? I think everyone wants to see it end soon, but is the diplomatic solution on the horizon? And is, is it the only way it's going to come to an end? I think it's nearly the only way this war ends, except for the catastrophe I just laid out of, of uh, miscalculations leading to a broader war. So I do think diplomatically, this war will end diplomatically. But I don't think that's on the horizon anytime soon. The way the war is going, I, I think there will be a negotiated end, but it's unfortunately quite far in the future. You're thinking months in, in down the road? I think so. Difficult to predict. But the way that the Ukrainians have uh, fought the Russians to a standstill, we're even hearing of some counteroffensives yesterday, means that no side is about to give up on the battlefield. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Tim Sale, Assistant Professor of History, Director of the International Relations Program at the U of T, also the author of Enduring Alliance, A History of NATO and the Post-War Global Order. What will the next post-war global order look like? Well, there are some real variables here. It really depends on how this war turns out. What kind of state is post-Ukraine Russia going to be? Is it going to be a state embittered by this war, separate from the West? Or are we going to see ultimately a change in Russia, a desire to be a more active and stable partner uh, in Europe um, and in the West? The other wild card here is China's role. We've seen China support Russia in this war. We have real questions in the fall discussion as to whether China would invade Taiwan. So this global order coming up could go a number of different ways, and we should look to Russia and China to let us know what sort of shape it will take, whether it will be contested or hopefully uh, something more peaceful. Tim, fantastic analysis. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much, Rick. Tim Sale, Assistant Professor of History, Director of the International Relations Program at the University of Toronto, also the author of Enduring Alliance, A History of NATO and the Post-War Global Order. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. An event being held in Hamilton later on this afternoon is going to shine a light on the issue of murdered and missing Indigenous women, girls, trans, and two-spirit individuals. It's called No Hate in the Hammer, and Sisters in Spirit Hamilton present Strengthening the Circles, Reclaiming Power and Place, Taking Action on Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women, Girls, Trans, and Two-Spirit Individuals. One of the individuals who is going to be a guest speaker at this event is our next guest. Dr. Beverly Jacobs is her name, Senior Advisor to the President on Indigenous Relations and Outreach at the University of Windsor. Dr. Jacobs, good morning. How are you? Hi, good morning. I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for joining us uh, at this hour of the morning. What is yes. uh, what is happening today at Theatre Aquarius? Tell us about it. Yeah, I've, I've um, been invited to make a presentation along with a couple of other powerful uh, women and speakers to address the issues of that we're still dealing with uh, regarding missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and two-spirited and trans people. There's still issues of safety and, you know, taking our power back so that we have the ability to to be who we are. And it's, you know, it's uh, always been a, a struggle. We're always having to, you know, deal with systemic discrimination and racism. And the um, there was a, a recent inquiry. Well, it's been actually a few years now, so it's already been addressed. And so now, you know, we have to figure out from here what where, what we do because nothing has changed. And in fact, I'm worried that it's, things are still getting worse. 
What's your message going to be to the group today? My biggest message today is, is about being safe, how to ensure that our families are safe and, you know, like I said, taking our power back. As Haudenosaunee women, where I come from, from Six Nations, where our teachings tell us that, uh, you know, the women in our communities are, are the leaders and decision makers and and we still do that in our community, um, but it's it you know it needs to continue to to spread through throughout our generations and uh, and talk about how we can do that. And a lot of it is about our teachings about unconditional love and kindness and compassion. And you know we need to heal from all of the impacts of colonization and. And dealing and knowing how to deal with the racism and addressing it, you know, talking about it straight on, head on. Because, you know, to me, racism is about lack of education, you know, having no knowledge about who we are as as a people and history of, of our treaty relationships and knowledge of the land issues and you know, things that weren't taught in the education system. So... It must be it must be pretty disturbing or disheveling to be talking about safety in a day and age that we're in now. It's it, I just find it mind-boggling that we're still having to talk about it because it's still an issue. It's still an issue, and sadly, you know, as as an Indigenous woman myself, having to even having to know realize that I I have to ensure my own safety and. Um, you know the things that we need to do to in, ensure that happens and and our, that our families are safe and yeah sadly we are having to deal with it today and like i said i think it's getting worse we're talking about an event at Theatre Aquarius later on today. It begins at 4.30, and it's all about uh, shining a spotlight on murdered and missing Indigenous women, girls, trans, and two-spirit individuals. And we're chatting with one of the guest speakers today, Dr. Beverly Jacobs. Uh, she is a senior advisor to the President on Indigenous Relations and Outreach at the University of Windsor. Uh, it's been, I think, almost three years now since the final report uh, into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls was released. It, it had... I think it was over 200 calls for justice. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, more needs to be done, but it seems like we're stuck in neutral here. What what is happening? Well, I think I think the biggest struggle is is putting things into action. So it's not only the inquiry that had the 231 calls for justice. There was the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and it's called calls for action. There's been the Royal Commission on Aboriginal people back in the 90s that also had recommendations, you know, and it's all towards government because, you know, the root causes of of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls are systemic. There's been laws that have been created to directly attack our children, Indigenous women, and, you know, they need to accept that they've committed genocide. And, you know, that was documented in, in the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Inquiry. And so, you know, they they need to step up to the plate and actually do something and to accept that what they've done and the impacts of, of genocide, the impacts of colonization, you know, that's what we're dealing with today. 
and they need to put the resources into 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 those actions into those calls for justice we do and we only have about 90 seconds here we do have uh, now as of last year the first day truth and reconciliation day september 30th that it seems to be a good start it's a a day where we can reflect have these conversations and make our place a better place for everyone but this uh, clearly more needs to be done more needs to be done more more accountability more resp- everybody everybody being responsible being aware you know, being educated, having knowledge about why things are happening the way they are. You know, people really do need to take it personally. Always say that. How do I, how can I make a change? How can I address it in, in my own life to make sure that everybody's safe? So, you know, it's everybody's responsibility. Absolutely. Dr. Jacobs, thank you very much for this wonderful conversation and best of luck with today's event. Okay, thank you for the invitation. Thank you very much, Dr. Beverly Jacobs, Senior Advisor to the President on Indigenous Relations and Outreach at the University of Windsor. Again, this event goes this afternoon at 4.30 at Theatre Aquarius. Registration is required. And out of respect for the elders who will be in attendance uh, to ensure their safety, a proof of vaccination will be required. You're also going to be asked to wear a face mask if attending the event in person. Sounds like it will be a very emotional discussion later on today at Theatre Aquarius. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We are going to be talking about... What might be the biggest impact on your pocketbook? I know food prices are up. I know gas prices are up. I know interest rates are going up, and they will continue to do so. Inflation. Canada's inflation rate now hovering around nearly 6%. How is that affecting your retirement planning? Well, let's ask an expert, and he's our next guest. Don Fox, Executive Financial Consultant, IG Private Wealth Management. Don, good morning. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Rex. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. I would imagine you're a busy guy because inflation is uh, battering uh, people's retirement planning. Is that the case? It's uh, it's definitely a kind of, you know a topic that's coming up right now because it's you know it's fairly new. Um, you know, it was, it was supposed to be temporary going back about five months ago, and so it is coming up in conversations. But uh, so is the invasion and uh, the pandemic coming out. There's been a few things uh, on people's minds right now. So how does inflation impact people who are planning and saving for their retirement? Well, you know, we've always taken into account in people's retirement plans, inflation. Generally speaking, we always try to up it. So in the past many years, it was less than 2%. In fact, we're actually a little worried about deflation. Only, you know, a little over two years ago before the pandemic, people were talking about, well, what if we have deflation? Well, that's certainly not the case anymore. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's a very big impact. It's almost like a cancer in terms of in, in your portfolio, because if you've got a lump sum of money generating an income, then if prices go up, it's actually kind of decreasing the amount of it's almost eating away at your principal because you will start to have to pull out more money out of that nest egg to you know, make, make the same lifestyle or you have to make adjustments to your lifestyle, one or the other. So you're meeting with a lot of people on a day-to-day and a weekly basis about their retirement plans, about their estate planning, you know, what's going to happen when they do finally, you know, say goodbye to their jobs. How are people reacting to rising inflation? Are they saying, listen, I'm, I'm paying more for anything. I need to dive into that retirement fund. Are they pulling some of those savings out or moving some of that money elsewhere? Well, so far, I think they've just adjusted. 
So the big one right now, which is on everybody's mind, is the price of gas. That one's like front and center. You see big signs. And that's kind of the barometer of inflation for most Canadians. It's just because they have to, you know, fill up the tanks, you know, between once, uh, twice a week, kind of, uh, every couple of weeks kind of thing. But uh, inflation, they've, they've noticed it also in groceries. And so they're saying, well, it just doesn't go as far. Now, we have been living in a pandemic and people have not been going to restaurants as much and traveling. And a lot of the, the discretionary money has not been used in the last couple of years. And that's the first to go. The, the luxury items start to diminish if we have higher inflation because you have to buy the necessities first. And then if you have some extra money for fun, then that's where that extra money goes to. So it hasn't hit home yet in my mind. But now that things are opening up, you know, it won't be long till people realize, well, maybe we can't go, uh, you know, Florida or Disney or Europe or what have you this year. Don Fox is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Don is an executive financial consultant, IG Private Wealth Management, and part of the Fox Group. Um, cryptocurrency investments have really uh, risen in popularity, or at least in exposure, over the last little while. Are people looking to that to say, hey, this is a long-term thing, I'll sock my money away into the cryptocurrency world? Yeah, that's a, that's a, talk about switching gears there, Rick. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, uh, yeah, crypto is uh, an interesting topic. Uh, you've got two schools of thought on that. You've got the Warren Buffett's of the world, who literally says, you know, don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Mm-hmm. It's a phase. Um, there's no value in it. And almost look at, look at crypto as a Ponzi scheme that, you know, there's a fake demand, and that's keeping it up. Then you've got the opposite side of the coin, saying this is for real. Um, certain countries are already using it as legal tender, like El Salvador. Mind you, they're not mainstream countries. Yeah. Um, but others are thinking about it. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, and then, of course, you have, I would suggest the millennials particularly, chomping at the bit on this stuff, loving it, um, loving the idea of anything digital anyway, because they're so used to digital and, and transacting without ever touching a real hard-earned dollar, so to speak. They see it in their bank account, but they actually don't see it in their hands. So, yeah, crypto is... Uh, is a thing, but you know, buyer beware there because you know there's the big ones which most people are aware of, such as um, Bitcoin, mm-hmm. uh, Ethereum, and then you get all these other ones that are come and go Doge, which Elon Musk has been touting. And all of a sudden, if he says, "Well, I'm going to use it to buy Teslas," then that coin goes up a thousand percent in a week. So, <laughs> but other ones have gone up from you know, you know even Bitcoin was over sixty thousand a coin. And now it's just over forty thousand a coin, so that's a, you know that's a good third, and that would be considered probably the safest cryptocurrency out there, um, where others have literally lost, you know, ninety five percent of their value since literally Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, it is extremely volatile. There's no doubt about it. Don, we got to leave it there because we're out of time. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Oh, anytime, Rick. Thanks for reaching out. That's Don Fox, Executive Financial Consultant, IG Private Wealth Management. You can hear him weekdays on Planning Your Financial Future right here on 900 CHML at 8 a.m. on Saturdays. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Spring is sprung. You wouldn't know it by looking out the window this morning or driving around town, but... Uh, begs the question, when are we going to start to see some real spring-like weather? Well, newly released spring forecast from our next guest, Chief Meteorologist with Global News, Anthony Farnell. Anthony, good morning. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton. 
Good morning to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on today. When you are putting together these outlooks, these forecasts for summer, winter, spring, fall, is spring the trickiest because winter is still kind of hanging on and spring is kind of saying, hey, old man, winter, get out of here? Yeah, as far as seasonal forecasts go, uh, it's these uh, spring and fall forecasts that, that really give meteorologists a lot of trouble because uh, we are. We're just dealing with, with that leftover winter and then when does summer kind of take hold? And, and also, everybody knows that, yes, it is warming up. It's going to happen eventually. Uh, but oftentimes, there are these false springs like we've seen this year. And then you take a step backwards. And, and that's what we're, we're predicting as far as the next couple of weeks. And, and then finally getting into what I think is going to be uh, much nicer conditions uh, later in April. Anyone uh, surfing the World Wide Web, whether it's globalnews.ca or 900CHML, will have seen Anthony Spring forecast. And if you haven't, the headline, Above Normal Rainfall with Big Swings in Temperature Likely. It it sounds a little ominous. What should we be expecting? Well, uh, systems like this, like what we're getting today, we we have this freezing rain threat. Thankfully, it's it's not going to be, I think, that big a deal. Temperatures are hovering just above freezing this morning. And, And I think there's at least another one, two of these type events where it's cold enough for maybe freezing rain, maybe snow. Uh, The next couple of weeks, uh, I think, are are well below normal. There's something that we call a a negative NAO or a North Atlantic oscillation that turns negative. And that, at this time of year, tends to just prolong the cold for a little bit uh, a little bit into April, and then I think we're going to come out of it. And these big swings in temperature are something that we've seen throughout the winter. We're going to continue with, uh, but that storm track has also brought us above normal snowfall and now i think we're going to see above normal rainfall as we head uh, well into the month of may at least is there also some potential for a little bit of snow during the rest of this month or maybe even the first few weeks of april uh, yeah and we're going to see flurries uh this weekend it, it's going to be a blustery frigid weekend for this late march time uh no real accumulation coming with this event but but i'm looking into early april and and we always especially with this setup get get one of those surprises where you wake up and you're like oh no here we here we go again (laughs) uh but it's April, and it won't last for more than a day or two. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't quite get rid of the winter tires yet. I know people have been asking me, uh, just just wait a little longer and uh, and be sure, especially if you travel uh, up north or, or anywhere outside of the city. Talking about spring with Global News Chief Meteorologist Anthony Farnell on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. When do we start to see those temperatures creep up and stay into the teens and maybe encroaching into the 20s? Is that later on in April or even into May? Yeah, it's. I, I, I'm thinking late April. Uh, overall, uh, I have April as a, a below-average month when it comes to temperature. So uh, one thing that, that is exciting is that every three or four days, our average high goes up a degree. So uh, one way or another, even if we're below seasonal, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that we're dealing with the status quo for the next month. It is going to improve but it's just in relation to normal that we like to talk. So uh, once you get into late April, I think overnights are, are well above freezing most of the time. We have those daytime highs in the teens, and, and we got a taste of it. Remember St. Patrick's Day? It was so nice mm-hmm. this past weekend. 
so we're going to take a bit of a break from that, and, and it will be back, but it's going to take some time. You can check out Anthony Farnell's spring forecast online, globalnews.ca, 900chml.com. One of the items that you identify in uh, the forecast is the um, unlikelihood, I guess, at this point of severe weather season. That doesn't typically start until, like, May, right? Yeah, around here, uh, we are actually um, thankful for that. In fact, we're surrounded by Great Lakes that take a long time to warm up. So uh, we tend to be, a, they, they tend to be a buffer for any of the severe weather that you may be seeing south of the border. And, and it does get active but places like uh, Chicago on the other side of the lakes where they're uh, surrounded by land that heats up a lot quicker. Uh, you get into the severe weather season into the month of April. And we've already seen that. Last night there was a, a powerful tornado that rolled through New Orleans. Uh, the day before it was Texas getting it. So I think it's going to be a very active year for them. And it's that clash in air mass from winter to spring and summer. Uh, and I do think we are going to see our fair share. But, yeah, you mentioned it. It's, it's not till uh, May and then even June is our, our most popular month for, for big thunderstorms. Anthony, as always, thank you very much for waking up with us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, same to you. And, uh, yeah, rain and watch out. Maybe some freezing rain for the next hour or two. Excellent. Good stuff. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks. Anthony Farnell, Chief Meteorologist, Global News. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Time now for Do You Know? And as we know, the war in Ukraine is raging on. Uh, We have a supply chain crisis that is continuing to put a squeeze on just about everything these days. And it's also put a spotlight on Canada's oil and gas industry, Uh, which leads me to today's Do You Know? question. How much oil does Canada export on a yearly basis, and where does it all go? I've traveled across half our state to be here and to see about this land. I dare say some of you might have heard some of the more extravagant rumors about what my plans are. I just thought you'd like to hear it from me. This is the face. No great mystery. I'm an oil man. Numerous concerns spread across this state. I have many wells flowing at many thousand barrels per day. I like to think of myself as an oil man. Canada is the world's fourth largest oil producing nation, pumping out more than 5 million barrels of oil a day. And according to the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, Canada sent about 99% of its liquid gold to the U.S. in 2019, while the remaining 1% of Canadian oil exports were delivered to other countries. That's right, nearly all of our oil goes to our neighbours to the south. Now, despite having the third largest oil reserves on the planet, Canada still imports a lot of oil from other countries. In 2020, Canada imported roughly 550,000 barrels of oil per day, with 77% coming from the U.S., 13% from Saudi Arabia, 4% from Nigeria, and 3% from Norway. We extract oil from the ground in a number of different ways, including traditional drilling and pumping. In northern Alberta, however, oil is found deep below the surface in shale, sandstone, and mudstone reservoirs where oil sands bitumen is separated from the earth. Oil companies there use processes like steam-assisted gravity drainage, uh, where they use steam to separate the oil from the ground and then pump it to the surface.
And now you know. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.